Welcome back to the Valley of Peak Nutrition Podcast. We're continuing our series called No Off Season this week, and we're looking at physical training. Obviously, physical training has a big component of anything that you're preparing to do in the outdoors, assuming that it's something physical. We're joined by Jake from Atomic Athlete. Jake describes what Atomic Athlete is and why that's particularly important for this episode. More importantly, we dive into really what the three main things are that are worth focusing on to improve your physical fitness between now and whenever your planned event is. There are three very simple things too, by the way. We also talk into we also talk about what establishing a base actually means for endurance-based activity, how to increase that base, and how to progress. It's a lesson in practical application with physical fitness that was really, really, really good conversation. It was important to me as we developed this that we gave some practical information on how you could take your training from where it is and actually start to develop some sort of a plan that progresses you and gets you to where you want. I think Jake did a incredible job doing just that. So we will dive in. And if you have any questions, as always, you can send those to info at v2pnutrition.com. I will list the Atomic Athlete contact information in the show notes, as well as some other helpful resources from those guys. So if you do have interest in participating in one of their programs, learning more about them or checking them out, you can do that. But without further ado, here is the conversation with Jake from Atomic Athlete on how to develop your own training plan for the offseason. Jake, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. It's great to have you. We've been doing a series um, over since since the start of the year, really called "No Off Season," with the idea of really trying to get guys to prepare now for stuff that they want to do later. Can you give just kind of your standard introduction of who you are and what Atomic Athlete is, and how you got interested in training for your own personal goals? Yeah, uh, name's Jake Signs. Started uh, Atomic Athlete in two thousand nine. Uh, always had an interest in training, uh, was first exposed to, you know, small town, Texas high school, uh, got basically was, uh, playing soccer. got thrown into what I would call the, um, the lesser sport athletic conditioning class, you know, it wasn't baseball, basketball, football. So all the other sports got tossed into one class called athletic conditioning. And it was a phenomenal class. And just, it, it was my first exposure to training. It was real, like actual structured training, which was kind of cool that my first experience was like that. And, uh, essentially just trained all through high school with powerlifting track um did a little bit of soccer went in the military afterwards spent four years there continued to train a lot um once again kind of was brought to my uh attention that lack of structure was kind of a big thing i would always ask why and then when i got out of the military um you know went and got a degree in business and when i got done looking around for jobs and you know basically one thing i had a lot of experience in was you know training and uh I uh, did some more continuing education there, got my CSCS and then started the gym and training full-time in 2009. So now we got uh, two facilities here in Austin. Uh, we train 300 athletes down here at the main location, about 150 at our north location. Then we got the online training platform where we write programs for military personnel or just general fitness or backcountry hunting, that kind of stuff. So when you were in the military and like a, a I had this question when you initially said that, so I don't want to, I don't want to portray that the military lacks structure in their physical training, but did you notice that the lack of structure based on your knowledge of training was really the impetus for wanting to go into your the business for yourself? Uh, I think so. And even, I mean, well, I'll, I'll just flat out say like the military does not have a very good structure. <laughs> even now, and even now we still do a lot of work with like the special forces community. We'll go out there and teach programming seminars um, you know, and at least nowadays there's, you know, access to, you know, online training and programs, which a lot of individuals were going to hold of. Um, but as far as like, you know, organizational wide, like how to properly employ like fitness training and protocols is it's still pretty bad. Um, it's, it's getting better, but you know, I mean, the military, whatever branch you're in is a really big organization and creating, you know, widespread change. Like imagine from your perspective, perspective as a dietitian that you want to change how military chow hall works. That is yeah. a, a much, much larger undertaking than just going to one facility and, you know, revamping the menu, you know? Um, so that, that was one of the things where I, I went in the military already very fit. Um, I was a good performer 
And I would watch guys who, even in a, in a special operations unit, you know, guys would get there, but they weren't as fit and they'd be trying out for certain courses and whatnot. And they would struggle. And like the, the methodology at that point was um, let's just hammer them hard as we can. And eventually they'll get better. And if they don't get better, then they'll go away. And, uh, and so that kind of sparked my interest of like, hey, like, why, why are we doing this? You know, like what? It seems to me like you're hurting this guy more than you're helping him. You know, because you're making him run eight miles in boots and body armor on concrete, and he's struggling to pass a two-mile, you know, run. Like to me, those those two things just don't make sense. So yeah, I think that, I mean, and I think that that's a great lead-in to the conversation, right? Because guys that are going to train for the military, what's the uh, what's the standard military test? It's got so it, used an acronym. Be, it used to be the ACFT, and then they just they've gone through like a two or three year process. Uh, so APFT was the old one, and then now they're shifting over to the ACFT, which is a better test. I mean, it has six events instead of three. Um, it, it's a lot more applicable to the job, uh, but they've gone through like two or three years now trying to ID with the correct scoring protocol and the correct exercises. And I think they finally you know, settled down and picked one and have it finalized. And I think that one's kind of getting implemented across the board this year. And I only, I only know this cause there's been guys that have reached out for the nutrition end of things who were preparing for this. And it seems like this is my perception. So you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong here. Cause you've got way more exposure to these folks than I do. It seems like generally speaking, guys that are preparing for this, the game plan is two things either one i'm just gonna beat myself to death in the name of getting fitter and then when i go to take this test like i'll pass it or two i know what the standards are i'm gonna aim to achieve the standard nothing over it like i just want to i just want to pass it and so they train what they think will accomplish the standard but then generally fall short or just get in by the nick of you know just by a little bit to meet the standard is that your kind of experience in in terms of seeing how guys prepare whether it's for this or for anything physical yeah i guess it, we we kind of we see a lot of guys on the either special forces side or like combat controller pj so usually the guys that get a hold of us are a little more vested in their performance and they're going to try out for a specific position versus just you know be a basic infantry guy in the army or something like that there's still standards there but those are pretty easy as long as you exercise you're typically going to be able to pass a standard um, but when it comes to the selection process, that's when a lot of guys are, there's a lot of like kind of myth out there about what they're going to experience, how well they have to do. And so what you mentioned earlier, the whole uh, more is better kind of thing, that, that happens a lot. They'll just do an excessive amount of volume. They think, well, if one mile is good, then three must be better. And if three is good, then eight must be better. And, if, you know, they just, they basically just do too much. And they have these kind of like expectations in their mind of like, like, hey, I have to be able to do this. And I'm like, hey, man, you only have six months. Like, that's not a reasonable goal. Like, that's your, you're shooting way. Like, you're talking, this is like a two-year goal to be able to hit those metrics, you know, depending on how fit the person is. So, uh, and then, yeah, obviously, if you're going out, if you're trying out for something, then you don't want to just meet the standard. You definitely want to exceed it because you're, you're competing for a slot, you know. Yeah, there's like, a, I think that that's a great perspective because oftentimes, well, even in, even in like the nutrition world, the expectation that people have it's you know they'll they'll paint this image of themselves as having fallen short of that like they'll set a metric or a goal for themselves they fall short of it and somehow that's means that they're a failure and it's usually a conversation of that expectation was just unrealistic that you know there was you were trying to achieve something in such a small gap you had not only no margin for error but it was so unrealistic that you know you're you were trying to squeeze something in three months that really takes nine so you didn't fail it was just the expectation was unrealistic fitness and correct me if i'm wrong here too but fitness seems to be a lot like nutrition where people will people will sometimes and this isn't the standard for everyone but for a lot of folks 90 percent of their time focusing in on things that don't make any difference at all 10 percent of their time um focusing on stuff that actually matters what are the 10% of fitness? Like what would be the three to four, however many you would think kind of top low hanging fruit. If you can only manage to focus on three things, this is going to be what's the best ROI for you. Yeah. I, well, a general statement, we'll say fitness encompasses both the strength side and the conditioning side. Um, first of all, for fitness, I would say, 
because um, you can be strong and you can be fast, but you sometimes may not be the other one, right? There's plenty of strong guys who do powerlifting meets who have zero conditioning whatsoever. And on the other side, those guys who can run endurance events like the Ironman or the marathon, but struggle back squatting their body weight. So fitness is a combination of the two. And the three things I would say uh, is make it a habit, all right? Like I used to love to train. Sometimes I still like to train, but now I just train because it's like brushing my teeth. It's just like, it's something I have to do on a regular basis. Um, not only professionally, but also just for health, right? And I mean, I've been doing it since I was 14 now and I'm 42. So pretty much any workout you can think of, I've done something along those lines. Um, but to me, I just look at it like a, like a hat, like brushing my teeth. And I think people have to look at it. It's not, you're not going to the bar with your buddy. It's going to have a blast, right? It's like, Hey, this is just something I need to do. So make it a habit. Number one, um, number two, do it at least three times a week. Uh, three is kind of like, I would say the minimal level. Uh, four is good and five is probably on the high side, depending on what kind of sport you're doing or what your goals are. You may push into the six or seven day a week range. Um, uh, that kind of, that's a more in-depth conversation. Um, and then the third thing I kind of alluded to in the first one is that if you want to be fit, it has two parts. It has the conditioning side and however you want to call it cardio, uh, endurance There's a bunch of different you know, ways you can kind of frame that. And then the strength side, and that's kind of how we frame all our programming. It's uh, the metabolic side and the muscular side. So those three things I think would be just do that, make it a habit, do it three to five times a week, make sure you're doing some conditioning, some strength work. So the, so like you would, you would categorize conditioning as being cardio focused and the strength side, obviously being as kind of a resistance trained or strength, strength training folks And a combination of those two would essentially make a person quote unquote fitter. Yeah. I mean, everyone, so definition of fitness is going to be very dependent based on if you're a military person, if you're a soccer player, it's different than being a track athlete. It's different than being a, a triathlete, right? So uh, the idea of who's the most fit is kind of a, a silly concept. Uh, but generally speaking, you, you need to have a, a little bit of both, right? Yeah. That, and that was a question I was going to ask is like, what does that even mean? It, I want to become fitter, right? In terms yeah. of, is that even a good question to ask? And I guess maybe a, a better question, if like if someone was to create a goal and say, look, I want to be fitter, really what they're trying to say is I want to be better at accomplishing something. Is there something that like as a coach, you would suggest they do to create a better goal than something as general as to say, I just want to be fitter? Yeah, uh, you know, at least the sports side of things, um, performance side, you'd say like, well, what is fit enough? And it's like, well, I'm fit enough to actually compete or play at the desired level, right? So if you find like you want to go, let's just say soccer, you're out playing soccer and everyone around you is outrunning you and outworking you, then, and you're being held back, your skills cannot be expressed due to the fact you cannot keep up with the pace, then your fitness is lacking. Um, if you're the guy who goes out the soccer field and you're able to, um, move and work the entire time you still not still might not be the best person because your skills might be lacking but you're able to at least move and work and compete at the desired level then i would say your fitness is high enough um same thing with hunting if you're going to do let's and you obviously work with a lot of hunters but if you're going to do like you know spot and stalk glassing mule deer and so you spend most of your time just sitting and glassing then your fitness won't be as high as if you're doing archery elk uh, hunting in the back country and you don't know where elk are. So now you're covering 10 to 15, maybe plus miles a day with a 20 to 25 pound pack, trying to find a bugling elk is a very different physical endeavor than sitting uh, up on a ridgeline glassing for mule deer. How would, so if let's say that like one of the, the term that comes to my mind and this may or may not be true, but one thing that we throw around a lot is, if you've got really specific goals, there has to be specificity in the training, right? Like you can't just go in and bench and expect to be a great archery elk hunter doing tons of vertical, you know, elevation, climbing and descending yeah. and, and doing a bunch of miles. It's not going to do anything for you. So specificity matters. What are the principles or maybe a better question would be how do principles change based on the goal between let's say strength endurance or if a, maybe somebody's listening they're like look i don't care about any of those i just want to look good with my shirt off so aesthetics yeah yeah what are the training principles that are different among those three based on what the desired end outcome is well i guess the well performance wise which i always say performance is very different than aesthetics um i mean typically when people say they want to get in shape it means they want to look in shape 
that's, that's, that's really what, that's what most people mean. Right. Uh, now, if you like, we hear this a lot, guys go backcountry hunting, or I'll take guys for the first time in the backcountry. And afterwards they say, I need to get in shape. Like they're saying, I need to be able to walk up the mountain and keep up with Jake or whoever else is up there hunting. Um, that's a very different thing than what most people mean. Like when you hear Christmas, for example, your sister or your in-laws like, oh, I got to get in shape. You know, they, they're just talking about leaning out and having a better, you know, better body composition. But um, performance wise, it comes down to an allocation of training time is what I would say. Um, so one of the ways that we kind of break up our programs is basically like, hey, how much time? And, and for example, in the gym, we program five days a week. What percentage of that five hour block is typically what we do? Um, is going to be dedicated towards the muscular side or the metabolic side. Right. So if you're a backcountry hunter, um, most of your time should be spent more on the metabolic side, your conditioning, uh, developing aerobic capacity, um, developing strength endurance in the lower body. So essentially all you're doing is you're going to basically choose where to dedicate that time to, because you can only train for so long in a week, right? Unless you're going to be a high level endurance athlete, then you might be pushing, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 hours a week. Uh, if you're doing a triathlon type training, but most people realistically, you're going to have probably three to six hours to train a week. So the question is, where are you going to spend that time and where are you going to get the most bang for your buck? So like, so I guess first question for someone who's not familiar with the terminology, metabolic conditioning, how would you define that? So the easy way to say the, the layman's term would be cardio, right? Just better cardio. Um, so that's the, uh, we call it energy system development. That's why we use the term metabolic, but basically um, it's improving a bunch of different uh, facets. And typically we break it up into two categories. Um, it's gonna be the aerobic and anaerobic side, all right? So if anyone's ever heard of CrossFit or HIIT training, that's all anaerobic. Uh, aerobic is that you know, long, slow distance that pretty much any endurance athlete who's ever done a program or trained or competed is very, very familiar with. So metabolic is our conditioning side. Um, and then the muscular side would be what we call the strength side of things. You know, the ability to pick up heavy objects, the ability to stabilize heavy objects, um, the ability to stabilize your pack on your back under heavy load for extended duration. That's great. So if, if like, let's just, let's just look at the endurance side of things for a minute, because oftentimes, like at least the people that are interested in this podcast are either focused on, they're focused on some sort of endurance, something oftentimes like endurance is thought of like ultra marathon or backcountry ski touring. And th those are inclusive of people that listen to this, but it's also hunting in the West over broad seasons. It's people doing through hikes. It's all, all sorts of stuff. So a lot of people, Though I 100% agree with you, when they first start this out, they want to look in shape and they'll devote a lot of time to the strength training side of things, never realizing like that's that's not going to do anything for your endurance. So if we strictly look at the endurance side of things, what, you know, in my, in my reading, and feel free to correct me because you're the expert in this for sure, the the main like low hanging fruit for endurance based training is a building a base and then extending out from there. So I guess I've I've got a couple of questions with that. One, how long does it take to build a base, and how would someone who's maybe not really experienced in training start building a base? Well, so you know, a lot of times you hear all the benefits of the high intensity stuff, right? And, and the high high intensity stuff is great as like a jump starter. Um, you're going to see really dramatic changes really quickly, but what's going to happen is you're going to plateau, you know, usually within two or three months, right? So you start doing all the hit training, you start doing hill sprints, you start doing the Metcons and CrossFit uh, is a big fan of. Then, then what happens is you, you'll build some fitness pretty quickly, but what happens is the infrastructure is kind of not been established, right? It's like now you're trying to drive a whole bunch of vehicles through, you know, very thin roads that, you know, only have one lane and they're just kind of jammed up. So aerobic capacity, volume is king. And, and that's kind of like, that's what we call it the base. You know, the wider the base, the higher the mountain can be if you wanted to use fitness as a mountain. So uh, it's, it's actually really simple. The downside is it's really boring. Um, it's typically done in zone two. It's typically done with a single modality. Um, it can be hiking uphill. It can be dragging a tire. It can be riding a bike. It can be running. Um, if you're a hunter, the best thing to do is just to go out and hike. Uh, I live in Texas, so I don't have access to, um, all mountains or anything. So we drag tires and ride bikes a lot out here. Uh, step ups is a common one. We use that in the, 
and the XL Mountain Gear training program, the Ultimate Predator uses that as well. Um, but I've kind of fell out of love with the step ups because they just aren't hard enough, right? There's, you know, as opposed to going uphill consistently for 500 to 1,000 vertical feet, um, when you do step ups, you step up and step down. And so you don't quite get that same burn that you get with a heavy gear bike or a tire drag. Um, volume is king, do as much as you can, only, only progress as fast as you're able to, you gotta be smart. So we had that conversation earlier about um, people doing too much too fast, kind of like I'm sure you experienced it on the nutrition side. You know, they go from X number of calories, like cool, I'm gonna go from, let's just say 2,800 calories, I'm gonna drop down to 1,200. And it's like, whoa, dude, like that's, that's a pretty extreme jump, you know? Um, single modes, done in zone two for an extended duration, I'd say for most people, the reasonable window is probably going to be when we did it in a gym we did a big kind of experiment three to five hours of aerobic work per week is a pretty good range for the average person who's not you know an endurance athlete um so but, i i got so many questions <laughs> I think, no no i think it's i think it's awesome so i guess the first question going back to the step up thing and I mentioned this because it was a topic on rock slide at one point I had chimed in, but I think it's a larger thinking, which is this. Okay. Well, if a 12 inch box gets me some fitness, a 32 inch has got to be just like, yeah. great, right. <laughs> yeah. Just, just going to yeah. destroy me. And that's going to mean even better performance in the backcountry. Does the height of the step up, regardless of the intensity, like you'd mentioned, I'm kind of bored with them because they're relatively easy. And I would agree with you. Yeah does having an 18 inch box versus a 20 inch box versus a 12 inch box um make a difference and you made a comment in that i think i saw this thread yeah you made a comment in the thread that i was like man this is why he's the man do you remember what it was i don't remember it but i remember reading i remember reading and being annoyed by one guy's response you you said because you're never going to be jumping over 32 inches of anything in the backcountry and you don't i didn't tell you this but i actually just recently listened to a podcast that you did with pineland underground which was excellent it's almost two hours yeah. but it's excellent you did a you and the other guy on there did a really good job talking about the training but one of the recurring themes that you always seem to have that i perceive that you have anyway and one of the reasons i just love the programming you guys do is everything is related to real world applications like if you were not going to do this in the real world why are you wasting your time trying to perfect something that's like maybe going to be in a video game but never in life and i just yeah. think the, the 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 carryover on those things is like many people are i guess it goes back to the 90 10 thing i just see a lot of people wasting so much time doing stuff that doesn't matter like in, that influencers are doing or whatever. And it's like, that is not going to do anything. And, and yeah. this, like the specificity thing in, in my own learning of, of nutrition and fitness, the specificity was such an eye opener when I started to learn. It's like, man, if you want to be motivated to go work out, train for something, stop trying to go burn calories, right. To get yeah. the cupcake, you know, get on the, you know, the, elliptical and just do 45 minutes of arduous rotations on that. So you burn 300 calories to get your cut like that. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be motivated by that. Yeah. The step up thing. I mean, essentially what happens is you go any higher than 12 and we've done them at all heights. I mean, I've done, you know, 20 inch, 24 inch, right. Essentially it's going to turn into a strength exercise at some point if it's loaded. So now doing step ups with like a 30 pound pack for like muscular endurance might be wise, but you're not going to really be able to do that at a good tempo for 30 minutes. And then what's gonna happen is eventually as you become fatigued, you're gonna be stepping down and you're gonna kinda of end up falling down versus stepping down under control. And then what happens is you start accumulating more damage for lack of a better term um, on your knees, ankles, hips, whatever it may be. And that's probably one of the most common conversations I have is a lot of guys who hunt are older, you know, like, yes, you have like the 25 year old guys who are just getting into it, but a lot of these guys have been doing this, you know, 20 years, they're in their forties. And so what we need to do is build appropriate fitness that they can actually, using modality, they can actually do. Um, and I will challenge anyone out there who's into the whole step-up thing. Like I said, I've done thousands and thousands and probably tens of thousands of step-ups because I'm a flatlander. But basically the feeling I get when I climb is not the same feeling I get when doing step-ups. It's totally different. There's, there's a concentric phase and an eccentric phase. You're stepping up, you're stepping down. My legs do not burn, even if I loaded myself with a 50 pound kettlebell. If I go at a fast enough pace, then I can kind of get my heart rate up. But the thing is, it's like, 
I'm not stepping like it doesn't seem similar. Yes, you're stepping uphill, but you're stepping down. Uh, riding a bike on a really heavy, heavy gear is much more similar to what you're going to experience climbing. Because when you're going uphill, there is no like downward phase. It's up, 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 and your legs don't get that kind of like little break every time. So yeah, over time I've kind of fallen out of love with it. But 12 inches seems to work, and I would kind of put that in the number three or number four category of like hunting exercises now. Yeah, and the other thing that you had you you briefly touched on whenever you were going through those things is the uh, the the tire drag. Oh God, yeah. those things are just absolutely torturous. And I'll put a link actually in the show notes to you guys did a um, kind of a tutorial that's in your in your online you know resources on how to build your own tire drag. Yeah. And like the hardest part for me was finding a used tire. And then as I started looking, it was like they were everywhere <laughs> and man, those yes, things yeah, are, yeah. they're just, they're just brutal. So going back to a couple of other things that you had mentioned, you said you want to train in zone two. Can you kind of outline what, what does that mean? What's the value of being in zone two versus maybe let's say another zone. And what are you trying to accomplish by staying in that? as opposed to above it. Yeah. So um, essentially, I mean, you mentioned earlier specificity. Your body recognizes two things, volume and intensity. Uh, intensity is going to determine what type of adaptations are created. Okay. And so the harder you go, there's different adaptations. The, the easier you go. And, and what we're looking for with aerobic capacity is uh, a couple things. Capillary density is one of the biggest ones. All right. So capillary density is basically you're developing an infrastructure um, that allows more of the muscle tissue to be oxygenated. And so that is a byproduct of training at low intensity. Zone two is typically what's going to be used in most endurance. Um, bunch of ways to find out what zone two is 55 to 75% of max heart rate is kind of like the generic rule. There's a mafetone method. I've done blood lactate tests, gas exchange tests. There's like 10 different ways you can establish like what is your zone two, but for the person who's not going to go out and do all the nerdy stuff, it's like you should be able to run, breathe through your nose, and uh, have a conversation. All right, and and that's typically going to be like the aerobic zone. It's not hard. It's not like you know Instagram worthy. Um, it's you know it's pretty pretty easy work, and the hardest part is just doing it. And so we have to kind of trick our athletes in the gym, and we kind of make it like fun by doing a certain exercise, then riding the bike for two minutes, then doing a different exercise, and run for two minutes, and. It's kind of like putting the, we use the analogy, the cauliflower and the mashed potatoes. Like when you're trying to get your kids to eat vegetables, right? You can't just be like, hey, eat the cauliflower. And they're like, no, nah, I don't want to eat, it's gross. You know, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna put it in the mashed potatoes. And then now you don't know you're doing it. And that's kind of what we have to do with the athletes here in the gym. Um, along with that capillary density, mitochondrial density, basically like the energy systems, the power plants of creating um, energy through the aerobic energy system is going to uh, be the two most desirable Things. You're basically teaching your body to use oxygen and the um, aerobic energy system. You're, you're teaching it to draw from a fat source versus a carbo carbohydrate source. All right. So you're going to pull from typically those three different energy systems. Uh, creatine phosphate is kind of like more at field sports, at soccer, baseball, throwing, um, track and field. Uh, the glycolytic and the aerobic energy system are the two that are pretty much going to rely on most of the time. And you're always going to be pulling from both of them at the same time. But the goal is to teach your body to pull from the aerobic energy system because it's pretty much inexhaustible, right? Like uh, if you go hard for an hour, hour and a half, you've seen it in any endurance sport, you're going to bonk, you're going to crash. You run out of glycogen, you know, you have to get kind of fuzzy headed, maybe get a little bit of nauseous. Um, on the aerobic side, I mean, you can go for days and days, assuming the intensity is at the right level. And, and hunting is a multi-day, I've only had to sprint hunting a couple times, you know, to cut off a bull or you know, um, something like that. Usually it's just that long, slow grind day after day. So that's why the aerobic energy system is just so important. It's just really boring. One, one of the things that you had uh, mentioned about like the endurance aspect and I thought was so good is unless you're competing in something where there is a place system, right? Like there's an award for coming in a certain position or it's a timed event, the goal of endurance is just to finish, right? You're not, you're not yeah. necessarily worried about how fast you're coming in. The ultimate goal is that you want to finish. So you're right. One of, and one of the ways I've heard it phrased, I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but if you're not monitoring heart rate and you're not doing some of those 
Because nutrition is a lot of the same, right? Like you can s. We've got some really good algorithms that'll estimate caloric needs, mm-hmm. but the gold standard's hooking somebody up to a gas exchange system. Not many people are going to yeah. do that, so we lean on these these algorithms and these estimates. One of the ways I've heard it put, and to, one of the ways I've you know from a from a general standpoint, because we're always talking about optimal versus practical. One from a practical standpoint, and not going to get a gas exchange test for myself is. You, what you're, you're, you're kind of wanting the work to be the limiting factor versus your cardiovascular system. In other words, if, if you don't feel like you can keep going because you're out of breath, you're way too high. You're going way too fast. Yes. Yeah. And I honestly, most people, when they do this, they're going to go out there and they start actually tracking it. Like we had a bunch of SF guys come in and we gave this whole, you know, hour and a half long spiel on developing the aerobic system, the base, and then we strapped up on heart rate monitors and we made them go out there and stay what would theoretically be a zone two. And a lot of them had to walk. And that doesn't mean they were out of shape. It just means that that energy system is not developed. And um, a, a great book for anyone out there who wants to dive into the endurance stuff, especially on the um, uh, mountain side of things is uh, the Uphill Athlete book, um, Train, Train, what is it? The new guide for alpinism. No, the new alpinism. Yeah, the new alpinism. And he has a running version as well. So Scott Johnson and uh, Steve House, I went to one of their early seminars. They just explain it really, really well. Yeah. And and like the pictures are good. I mean, like I've learned about this so many times and forgotten about all this stuff because it's, it's never really explained in a very clear and concise way. And it's really nerdy. Um, but they did a really good job with explaining like, hey, like this is how this works, right? This is how you can climb you know, five mountains and the time it takes for one person to climb one mountain. Right. Um, they do. Uh, yeah, I, we've, I've actually recommended that book on here before I to at least to this point am not aware of any other like publicly available non classroom literature that's better outlines this piece of things. I think it's, it's a, it's a great book. And you touched on something, even on the fuel side of things, like the body's always going to be utilizing a dynamic mix of fuels, right? Whether it's carbohydrates, fats, et cetera. But one key thing you said is that if the body continues at that intensity, you've got long fuel sources uh, developing that system. But then as the intensity increases, relies more on carbohydrate, et cetera, et cetera. But it was an excellent, just an excellent overview. So general takeaway is you uh, in my experience my observation may be the same for you the place that folks err the most in in this is we think ah the harder i work the more fit i'm going to be that's going to get me to where i want to be and what you're saying is ah not true you want to be doing the long slow arduous non-glamorous kind of yeah moderate intensity stuff that usually requires more time than it does effort yeah and that's and so you mentioned you asked earlier like how long and so if you read any endurance book endurance athletes they look at like their yearly volume it's not like what's happening this season it's like hey how much how many miles did i get in this year versus next year versus the year after or how many hours of training it is something that is uh, it's not like this month next month it's like hey like in two or three years, like I want to be able to have this many hours cumulative training volume leading up to my season or just throughout the year. And, and so a, a real endurance athlete is looking at this years at a time. Um, and so we have to lose, like, we can't think about this, like four weeks later, eight weeks later, 12 weeks later, like I'd say a, a minimal window for base minimal is 12 weeks. Um, looking more like towards the 20 weeks, if you really want to develop it. Like now, I mean, I didn't do any of this aerobic stuff when I was in the military and I was still pretty fit, right? So you can still build a pretty high level of fitness and go through selection and do time rucks without doing the aerobic work. Um, But the right way to do it and to get the most out of it will be to follow that process, right? Like you want to establish a good foundation, right? Because a good foundation is going to allow you to build a big house on it. It's not going to be one of those things where there's shortcuts. I mean, the world's best athletes, they build a base for a reason, right? So even if you're, you know, an 800 meter, you know, which I would say is a fairly short distance running athlete, um, they're still doing lots of base work, right? They're not out there just doing 400s and 800s every single time they train. They're going to be out there training probably five days a week and they're doing lots of base work, lots of lower intensity work, developing that energy system. The difference of those athletes is that they're going to go into a, a transition and then a peaking phase. So that way they can actually run faster, 
right? Um, for most of us who are hunting, we don't really need to peak our hunting ability because we just got to be able to be out there for a week or 14 days or 30 days and, and grind every single day. What is, so in, in establishing that base over 12 to 20 weeks, what changes, right? So earlier you'd mentioned single modality. Is someone in that 12 to 20 weeks choosing one exercise and doing it, let's call it three times a week over that t- span of 12 to 20 weeks? And if if they are, if they're not changing the modality, how how are they improving it? What What metric are they watching to continually challenge themselves in a way that grows their fitness or improves their endurance. Well, the good thing is your, your body really doesn't know what modality it's doing. Um, you know, so you know, I was saying that uh, exercise is just a means to dance. You can mix the modalities. It is going to be localized though. So for example, if you are um, running and cycling and hiking, you're not going to develop, you know, more mitochondrial density and capillary density through shoulders like a boxer would. You know, a boxer who's consistently shadow boxing, using those muscles at low intensity, he's going to be able to move his upper body because he's developed that infrastructure, for lack of a better word, up there. So long as you're training the same body part, you can mix and match the modalities. So you could say, you know, cross-country skiing, running, cycling, um, step-ups, hiking could all fall in that lower body category. The more you use one, then the more you're going to be able to manage or track your progress. So, for example, the goal would be, let's say, Okay, Jake, hey, I want you to go out and run at, let's just say, 55% of max heart rate. And let's just say that that's going to be 140, just for easy math. So I'm going to go out there, run at 140, and I'm just running at 140, monitoring that. And I'm going to manage or monitor my pace. Let's just say I start off and it's 11-minute mile as I'm running. Okay, as I go through four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, I should see like a 10.45 mile, and then a 10.30 mile, and then a 10.15, and then a 10-minute mile. So a good metric to see like, hey, I'm actually getting better is to a constant heart rate or constant output, for example. And then what is my pace or speed? And the goal would be to have the same output that 140 beats per minute and be able to cover more ground faster. You're just becoming more efficient. And that's going to happen um, not only from the physiological side, but also just the mechanical and mental side, right? You're become more efficient runner. You're going to be more comfortable with that kind of feeling. Uh, we had lots of athletes when we went through the, we called it the space monkey program. It was, we had a whole bunch of athletes do this protocol. It was all base building. And uh, initially they were like, oh, 30 minute run. I mean, it's, that's awful. And then it got to the point where they were running an hour 15 and they're like I, like, I don't understand why an hour 15 feels easier now than 30 minutes when I started, right? They just, they just get in that zone and kind of grind it out. What changes after 20 weeks? Like, how do you, so you, you establish the base and then is, is, is after that, like, let's call it 20 week, is that when it gets a little more advanced level training and someone would be better off to work with somebody one-on-one to develop a plan? Or is there a general rule of thumb that someone could say, look, base is established. I'm ready to take on more advanced training, higher volume. What would you say? Okay, here, this, and this is what you need to focus on and go do. So it depends on the, uh, the sport. Um, for example, like hunting, you might not need to transition. Um, if you're going to go compete at something and actually race and let's say, for example, a 10 K, right. Uh, anyone who starts off or starts a 10 K run program probably can do a 10 K right then. Right. So that's going to be a totally different, you know, build up than someone who's going to try to do a marathon. Right. So your first marathon is typically going to be like, I just want to complete it. Right, or your first Ironman or half Ironman or even an Olympic distance triathlon. So if you're actually trying to get faster, then what's going to happen is you're going to start basically adding in intensity. Um, it may start off with like a bridge or a transition program where you're just adding one or two sessions per weekend. And then eventually you're going to go and do a peaking process. And it's not going to be so much the volume you're going to manipulate. It's going to be the intensity. So you're going to start seeing tempo runs, intervals, speed work. Um, if you're on a bike, you're going to be riding at a, a certain number of watts. Um, if you're on a rower or whatever, you may change the um, the resistance. So you're going to start in- introducing more intensity. And so the, the normal build goes volume, low intensity, transition, and then you're going to maintain the aerobic work. So basically, you can't do a hard, you know, high intensity session Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's just no time to recover. But maybe you get to a point where, hey, I'm doing three hard sessions a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You're still doing aerobic work on Tuesday, 
Thursday, maybe even Saturday and Sunday, right? That low intensity, getting that blood flow and trying to recover. But essentially you're going to be adding an intensity and then you're going to start adding progressions of that intensity. So maybe it's the number of intervals you're doing. Um, maybe it's the duration of a tempo run, you know, it's, it's very old school endurance protocols, which I mean, like it's so funny how you new know, fitness is, you know, always, you're always hearing new companies come out and always new things are coming up. But I mean, all the science has been around since the eighties and nineties, you know, it's like, I mean, some of the best books written, you know, written by the Russian coaches in, in 1987 or something like that. It's the, it's the same with nutrition. It's like not, nothing's changed. <laughs> it's like the, yeah. people are like, what works? People have been saying for decades and decades and decades, but someone is like, you know, then influence came in, influencers came in and, and changed it. Would it be safe to say like one of the ways one of the ways to get fitter, whether that is to increase your endurance, increase your strength or whatever, is you are looking to increase volume and overload what you had previously been doing, whether whatever the metric is, right? Like whether it's to increase, whether you're manipulating the variable of intensity, total volume, pace, anything like that. Is, is it safe to say increased volume over time is what improves your fitness? It can, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So in, from a strength perspective, it'd be increased intensity. Um, let's just say you start out doing five by fives, you know, or maybe even five by eights and you go to five by fives, then you start working down to triples, then doubles and singles. So now like if you're a power lifter and by the time you're in a peaking phase, you may be doing just singles and doubles. You may only bench press 10 to 15 times the whole session. When in the earlier phases, you're doing a much higher volume and a lower intensity. Maybe you're doing like a five by 10. So you're doing 50 bench presses, right? Um, in the endurance side, endurance specifically, it is volume. You will basically look to, let's just use that example of 20 weeks, right? And you're like, okay, hey, I'm going to start off at maybe two and a half hours per week, right? I'm going to do an hour session, an hour session, a 30-minute session, and whatever modes you choose. Um, by the end of 20 weeks, that should be in the five, six, or seven-hour range then, right? So your progression is essentially the most powerful tool any program can have is progression. It, it's basically, I mean it's it applies to every aspect of fitness regardless of what you do um the key thing with progression though is that things have to be repeated right so if you look at like you know i'm not poopooing on crossfit crossfit's a great sport all right or a great method of activity but essentially there's no like repeated exercise there's no structure it's all random and the downside is is that you don't know how hard you're supposed to go because you haven't done it in two or three months right but if you're following an Olympic weightlifting program and you're snatching every Tuesday and Thursday and you're following progression, it's like, you know exactly where you're supposed to be on that session because it's slowly getting harder and harder and harder. Same thing with a bike interval, same thing with a ruck interval. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Volume and intensity are the things you're going to manipulate. And then progression is going to be applied to those. And then that's, that is hands down. There's no one who has any background in any type of strength and conditioning can argue with that. Progression is king. It doesn't matter if you're a bodybuilder, a powerlifter, a triathlete. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. That's why I love. I, I I'm a. I love the simplicity of five by five, five compound lifts done over and over again. You're keeping a notebook. You know what you did the week prior. Yeah. You add two and a half, or you add five pounds to the lift, yeah. and then you repeat. Like it's not glamorous, but man, is it effective? And it's yes. simple yeah. for the average person, you know, to follow. We've got a couple of minutes, and there's one more thing that I want to. I want to get your opinion on. So I'll. I'll jump into it. You, you said once to me, you said that excess volume is often the biggest mistake that people make. More is not better. It's like kicking a dead horse. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about what that means and maybe even if it's, if it's applicable here, the law of diminishing returns by adding extra volume? Yeah, and that's, we learned about that in business school, that concept, right? It's like an additional unit of input does not always result in an additional unit of output. So there is a certain amount of work that you have, you have to do, you know, you have to stress your body so that it realizes, Oh, wow, that's a lot. It's fatigue. And then it's going to adapt, right? It's going to build some fitness. So that way you can handle that volume the next time um, it encounters it. Um, at a certain point, you've, you've got there, right? Let's, let's just use an example of, um, bench press since that was what we talked about a second ago if you say i'm going to do a five by eight of bench press it's like okay cool like that that's probably enough stimulus assuming the barbell is loaded enough 
to basically tell your body, hey, we need to adapt. We need to get stronger. So next time we do this, we can handle it, right? Doing two sets of eight is not enough. Your body's just like, okay, cool, whatever. Like that, that was no problem. But if we do five or maybe even six, it's gonna be like, okay, hey, like that was, that was good. Basically I, the impetus for change has happened. If you start going into like 10 rounds of eight, it's like, well, well, why are we doing 10 rounds, right? If five or six was enough to create that change, then doing anything additional is just going to delay your ability to recover, right? You're going to increase your fatigue. You're going to be even more tired when you get done, which a lot of people will associate with like, oh, well, that, that's good. Like me being sore, me being broken or destroyed, it's a good thing. But the downside is it's going to delay recovery. And then the longer the recovery window is, the longer till you can train again. So now what happens is those excessive volume sessions are going to spread the frequency of training out, which lowers total weekly volume. And then you just don't get that dose as often. You know, an analogy we use for um, making sure that you recover before the next training session is like when you paint a wall, you let the paint dry before you add the next coat, right? You don't just keep adding wet paint on top of wet paint. And that's kind of the idea of the training. It's like, hey, like trained, you're going to become fatigued. You're going to be tired. You're not going to be able to perform as well. There's going to be that dip in your fitness and it's going to adapt and then ideally super compensate and build higher fitness. And then you're able to you know, go into the next one. So the goal would be like this kind of stair step um, result in fitness over time from like challenging your body and then going up. So you use five by five as an example. An easy way to progress that is add two and a half pounds on each side, five pound total jump, right? That's starting strength protocol, Mark Ripito's big thing is like, hey, like if you can do five by five and it's unbroken, add plates, then do it again, add plates, then do it again, add plates. And it, it, it just works. I mean, and there's no reason to go like full ham and break yourself every single time because all you're doing is you're just delaying recovery and it's going to take longer until you can hit it again. I think one of the best lessons I ever learned in my own fitness or whatever was when I learned to stop chasing the pump and to follow a progression. I, yeah. you know, that, that, and using, you know, just following the progression and trusting the process and loving the process versus this immediate, you know, gratification of a pump and somehow equating that to, oh boy, I'm getting stronger. When I unlearned a lot of that, not only did I start seeing my fitness actually improve, but it was funner. It was way funner. Right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, uh, and people will say stuff like, you know, they'll equate the effectiveness of the workout to how sore they are. It's like, well, no, because now you've got to take four days off. That's like you were saying, that's less volume over time. And when volume and progression is king, you're missing so many workouts because you're destroying yourself and really not, you're not, the, the destruction isn't even providing any value to the overall fitness. So it, it's just hurting. It's just hurting yourself. You're hurting your joints and, and it really doesn't make sense, right? Like we use the horse, right? It's like the horse is dead. Why are you still shooting it? You know, it's like, it's not going to become more dead. You know, and so it's, and I see, we see it a lot, even our open gym athletes with a couple of guys who, a couple of athletes, I should say that um, compete like on the CrossFit kind of stuff. And so they don't do our programming and we, we'll watch them. We're just like, dude, what are you doing, man? You've been here 90 minutes. You're on like your fifth Metcon. Like, I, I mean, are you, are you actually following a program or are you just doing random hard shit? And a lot of times they're just doing random hard stuff. And, and like I said, I mean, if you love to train and you have good genetics, that's one thing we haven't talked about yet is genetics, but um, if you love to train and you train a lot, you will be pretty, pretty darn fit, right? Like, I mean, you will, I mean, I did that when I was younger, I didn't follow programs. I mean, shy of a powerlifting program when I was in high school. Um, but you'll get to a point where, oh, Hey, like I'm pretty fit. I'm a top performer, but there's no way that unstructured training is going to beat structured training. Like, it doesn't matter. You take that, take that same person, like, Hey, you do your random hard stuff and let me write you a program with these goals. And I guarantee, right, anyone who knows how to program will put out a product that will have a better result than just doing random hard stuff. Yep. I couldn't yeah. agree with that more, even just on my own, my own personal experience. I think you've got to run, don't you? I got a few four. more minutes, actually. I thought I was going to coach it for, but Jordan came in and he's coaching it for. So I'm not, I'm not in a rush. All right. Yeah. Well, since you, since you brought it up, without destroying everyone's hope on the topic of genetics, one thing like so one thing that the and conversations that come up with us and people will say people will ask me general questions like uh you know if i do an x y and z do you think that that will help me improve fitness if i ruck three days a week will that help me be prepared for the backcountry or whatever and often like what i always resort or retort back to is if you do x y and z 
it seems likely that you'll get fitter, but only to your genetic potential, right? Like you're only going to be able to be I like, so take me, for example, I'm five foot six. I'd run to love a, four, a sub four minute mile, never going to ever happen. No matter what training I try to push myself through, what role does genetics play? How can we have a realistic expectation of what our training does? And maybe as a, like, maybe as a piece to loop into that would be in an effort to not completely spin our wheels. At what point do we say, okay, I've maximized this block of training. It's time for me to transition my focus into something different because like, we'll stick with the the example of five by five. You can't keep adding five pounds forever, right? Eventually you're going to have to transition into something different because you just, you can eventually you're going to maximize. I'd love to bench 305. It'll never happen. I weigh 145 pounds, right? So what role does genetics have what should our expectation to be should what what should our expectations be to be realistic and at what point do we know look i've maximized this block i need to change the focus for a bit so genetics is going to tie into two things one how you look that's you i mean you can't control your genetics right i don't know at some point humans thought we were different from animals right we spend all this time trying to find the best cow the best chicken you know we try to hunt these units with the best elk at some point we thought that like oh well the same rules that apply to every other mammal don't apply to us and the bottom line is we can't choose who our parents are so some people are going to naturally be jacked some people are naturally going to be good at endurance athletes some are going to be natural strength athletes right like in 2022 unless you're a kicker or quarterback you're probably not going to make it to the nfl on hard work you're going to have to have like a certain type of you know physique and body type um when our program's in here, some athletes, when we do work capacity or aerobic protocols, we see great results. And then on the other side of thing, certain athletes will do really, really well with strength work, right? You're gonna have the same athlete, same age, you know, their nutrition is gonna be different, but performance-wise, it shouldn't influence it too much. Um, but you're gonna see some athletes put on like 40 or 50 pounds on a lift, and some are gonna put on like 10 or 15. Uh, a couple of things that will consider or come influence that is, how experienced is the athlete. If you're a new athlete, you're gonna see really big jumps in performance right off the bat. Um, if you're a really experienced athlete, you're not gonna see that. So I think, you know, and the downside is, right, we have uh, unrealistic expectations due to social media and the amount of information we have. So we, we see people on the internet that are like superhumans essentially, right? Um, if you go to the Olympics, like the Olympics is full of superhumans. Like those people do things in the Olympics that most of us could never hope to accomplish, right? So I think what we have to do is um, measure our own progress against ourselves, right? So go out there, do that assessment and see where you're at. And don't worry about your hunting buddy or the other military guy or whoever else is in the circle. Like, hey, I'm going to follow this protocol. I'm going to reassess and I'm measuring my own independent progress from this point to this point, right? And some athletes are gonna adapt very quickly. Some athletes are not. You know, I listened to a podcast the other day about um, performance enhancing drugs and you know, even some guys, they don't respond to that. You know, Some guys will be like, they'll take one dose and they're gonna have, be super responders and they're gonna have like put on massive amounts of muscle. And then other guys are taking twice as much and they're not putting on near as much muscle as the guy who's taking half as much. That just has to do with how your body adapts and to certain stimulus, certain substances, whatever it may be. So we're all different. So there is no standard protocol. It's going to be like, hey, this is the rate of improvement you can expect. Some people to go from point A to point B might take a year. Some, it might take two or three months. I love what you, you said this way early on, but it, well, you sort of alluded to it whenever we were talking about the, uh, the new guide for alphabetism or whatever the actual name of the book is. In, in that book, those guys are laying training plans out over a year to a year and a half, Yeah. right? I mean, it's a long game. And I think um, and you can speak to this even more than I could, but looking at that and saying your, your, the, the picture or the image that you've got painted in your head of this ideal you, whether that's ideal endurance athlete, ideal physique athlete, ideal whatever athlete it, it looks like. You may not even consider yourself an athlete, but whatever that looks like, that may be possible, but it may take a very years to accomplish the fruition of this goal. Like, so if you tease out a five-year plan, let's say that maybe you want to improve your, let's say you've got, let's say there's a, 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 a 12 mile, 
um, let's call it a 12 mile, let's call it a 30 day or 30 mile multi-day hike somewhere near you that you want to be able to accomplish in less and less and less and less time. That may be possible, but it may take, you know, maybe year one, you shave off 20 minutes, year two, you shave off 20 minutes, year three, you shave off another 30 minutes, right? But it's, 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 it's a process of continually, like, it's almost like a sculpture. You continue to hone it, continue to hone it, continue to hone it. It's a long-term type of a thing. So uh, what, at what point in your experience can, can an athlete or a person say, okay, I've pretty much exhausted this block of training and I need to focus on something else for a period of time, let's say, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess, um, so I would look at, you should always have transition periods or deloads through any program. And typically you're gonna see those every three, three to six weeks, you're probably gonna need a week to where you're gonna drop volume and intensity. Um, depending on what the program is, you're gonna manipulate one or the other. And endurance side, you're dropping volume, right? So you may do build, 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 build. Let's, just, let's use running as an example and say you get up to, maybe you're at a 25 mile week or something like that then you're probably gonna need a week to cut back down to like five to 10 miles just to like let everything kind of settle and reset. Um, that would be a very basic idea of like, hey, deload and using periodization, right? Kind of breaking up your season, seasons, or your, I'm sorry, your year into like seasons, right? So like, let's look at hunting for an example, hunting season, September, October, November, right? So in January, you don't need to do hunt specific stuff. Like you, you, you don't need to do that, like just, Hey, run, row, ride the bike, hike. Um, you know, you don't have to train with your boots on. You don't need to carry your bow when you're out, you know, walking around, right? You can just do general training January, February, March. Now, when you start getting to like June, July, August, like that's when it's like, okay, hey, let's let's start shifting our training, changing it a little bit. Because basically, like training's gonna create very general, I guess the best word, uh, general physical attributes are going to be developed, right? Your strength, your aerobic energy system, maybe your anaerobic energy system, maybe your muscular endurance, maybe core, grip strength, whatever it may be. Those are all going to happen through training. At a certain point, you can't just, you don't want to just bench press, you know, every week, 52 weeks in a row, right? You're going to need to change it up. Maybe you're going to go dumbbell flies. Uh, Maybe you're going to go cable crossovers. Maybe you're going to start doing an incline or decline or a pause. You're going to have to change the stimulus ever so often. And typically, and there's a couple of rules on when to do that. If you just naturally rotate them like we do in our gym, mostly for variety because people come to our facility, like they want to, they want to get better, but they also want to have fun, right? And I think a lot of people out there, like if you're really, really just like performance only, it's like, cool, just run, just do the barbell lifts, just do this, right? And that's going to give you more, most of the return, best return on investment, essentially. But if you want to keep it to where like, hey, I kind of like my training sessions and a little bit of variety because if they're always the same, I'm not going to do them. And if I change them up a little bit, it's kind of like, like for example, you're a dietitian, you might prescribe this is how many calories, you know, you're going to need per day. And this is your macro breakdown, right? You can just come up with one menu item and basically tell them, hey, eat this much of it, then this much, then this much. But they're going to like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to eat the same thing three times a day, seven days a week. So you have a menu that has variety, right? So you can kind of change it up. Same thing is going to be pretty important for most people, I think, in regards to training. Training the exercise, the, the structure, the modality, the um, anything, even with your tempo. Like right now, we're doing a lot of isometric holds. We're doing a lot of pauses in certain positions just to keep the variety up and keep the interest high. Yeah, there uh, there is a uh, another guy. You you may be aware of him. He was involved with training physically training uh, a lot of the special forces guy. I think he was based out of Delaware. Mike Prevost. We had him on podcast for a little while. Great guy. Anyway, he said the same thing. He was like, honestly, when you're dealing with SF guys, oftentimes they'll look at your programming it's going to get them where they want to be but they're they're thinking it's so simple that they're writing it off so he's like i would just i would just throw random stuff in just to keep them engaged just random hard things in just to keep just to keep them engaged with it yeah i mean like sometimes we'll have we'll just do a session and just like our our athletes will get a a custom we we just athletes people who train the gym and all competitive athletes uh but like we just kind of break them off sometimes just to kind of give them that mental, you know, like, it's just like, Hey, this is 60 minutes. I'm broken. Like go. And they're like, what, you know? And, and the whole thing there is like, we're, you know, we're breaking some of the physiological rules with the volume and a few other things um, just to kind of like train the mind. And, and you kind of have to do that sometimes. Right. You know, it's, 
I mean, you've packed out animals before. It's not always going to be, you know, X number of miles through open terrain with a hundred pound pack, right? You may have deadfall. You may be going uphill. You might be crossing the rivers and, you know, like I've never had, you know, no two pack outs are alike. So it's one of those things where sometimes you just got to do something really hard just to kind of like develop that grit and also just remember that like, Hey, I still have it. You know, I still have that ability just to get in there, suffer, you know, grit my teeth and just work. I think one of the most effective things um, in doing stuff like that that I found for myself is it sort of has developed this, and I don't want to make myself sound like, oh man, I'm hardcore. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> but one of the things that it's developed is this sense in my head of, I'll figure it out. Like, I don't know. I can't plan. I can't, you know, yeah. you know, my brain automatically wants to go into preparation mode and to try to do everything I can to control everything. And one of the things by taking some of those things on, whether it was like, you know, the death hike with the EXO guys or different pack outs or going, committing to going to hunt in terrible weather and snowstorms is, is I, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Once I get there, I'll figure it out and I'll be all right and I'll figure it out. And so just committing to not having the answers, but going anyway and committing to figuring out once I get there has been maybe one of the most enlightening things to me by doing stuff like that, right? Like you show up to a workout and somebody's got something prescribed and it looks really hard and you're like, uh, this seems miserable. I'm, yeah. I guess I'm about to figure out how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of guys, they, they try to do something like that all the time, especially military guys. And I mean, there's even some company that their whole, whole thing is like the mind is everything. And, and it's like, I mean, it is good to have mental toughness and it is good to be able to like, you know, grit out, you know, through very challenging things, bad weather, um, uh, high volume, long duration, right? That, that's good, but you, you can't ignore the, you can't ignore science, you know, like the, the body and your body, depending on what body it is, how many miles are on it and how developed it is, is going to have that same threshold we talked about earlier. And once you get there, it's like, Hey man, I, you know, you can keep going if you want, but it's not going to do you any good. It's probably going to hurt you more. And it doesn't mean you're weak. It just means like you're being honest and be like, Hey, like, my body's at a point. It's very training is very different than testing, right? You know, so your test may be your marathon or the death hike or packing out an animal. Um, training does not need to be a test, nor should it. You know, you don't have Olympians out there running their marathon at race pace multiple times again and again and again through their training program, right? They they race, they train, they have a big race, they rest, and they train again. You know, so that's kind of and the lark the longer the event, the harder the event is um i mean you could do max max reps pull-ups every week that's not going to really hurt you right it's not you're not doing that much damage you, you're doing anywhere between five and 25 repetitions most likely but going out and running 20 miles at race pace is not something that's sustainable you know multiple times back to back so you, you have to be smart you know jake can't thank you enough man so it's incredibly enlightening i, I was gonna say it's always enlightening and that's largely because i follow your guys's programming and every time you throw an email out it's always great stuff so you know if people aren't subscribed there i'd encourage them to to go do that but any anything else you want to pass along where can they find atomic athlete or find you or last minute tips advice that you want to give i just you know you can find us online it's pretty easy um, these days and then um uh yeah just you know, don't fall under the Kool-Aid you see get spread around on social media. You know, it's just, you know, the simple, most effective things work really well. It's good. Good closer. Appreciate you coming, man. No problem. Great having me. A big thanks to Jake for spending some time with me to talk about these things. So in today's world, <laughs> one of the biggest points of confusion for people is they feel like the more complex a program is, whether that's nutrition or training or finance or anything for that matter, then that means that it's got to automatically be better outcomes. That has to mean I'm going to be a better version of myself following this because it's more complex than another program. That is completely false in all all spectrums of physical training as well as in the spectrum of of nutrition so the main three takeaways jake outlined again were number one simply try to make fitness a habit number two try to participate in that fitness or train three to five times per week and then number three make sure that 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 training program has a good mixture of both strength and conditioning so both strength and 
uh, cardiovascular fitness, trying to improve you overall as a person to get where you want. We obviously dived into a ton of other topics. And if you've got questions specific to those, you can reach out to Jake and the folks over at Atomic Athlete in the contact information below. We will continue our series on no off season next week as Mark and I start to look at what are the other three to four most overlooked, most often overlooked things that folks do not focus on during the off season that they should be. So hope you'll join us for that. That'll drop in two weeks. If you have any questions, you can send those to us at info at v2pnutrition.com. If you've got questions that you want to hear covered in one of our frequently asked questions that we will be doing quite a bit of this year, we've gotten tons of emails on, on different questions. So I'm excited to dive into those. You can send those to the email as well. Um, but we appreciate you joining us and look forward to you joining us again next week. Have a great week, everybody.